Yo, yo, what up, what up? How's everyone doing? My name is Joe Idoni. Welcome into the Preferred Lines podcast this week for a very special edition, a U.S. Open complete betting preview show. I got a special guest that I'm going to bring on in just a minute. Uh, this is being streamed live on YouTube, Twitter, uh, available on iTunes and Spotify shortly after we get off the air here for podcast download as well. If you have a second, literally takes one of them. Uh, do a little like, give me a little thumbs up, maybe a subscribe, maybe a retweet. All that kind of stuff really helps me out, and I generally appreciate it. So here's what's on tap for tonight's Happy Hour U.S. Open show. Course preview. I'm going to give a course preview. So I did a, a total show like 10 days ago of a course preview that I did for uh, Brookline. Go back and check that out. It would be the last video on the YouTube page. It's pinned to my profile on Twitter right now. If you want to check that out, I'm going to give the Cliff Notes version tonight. I'm going to go through the odds boards. I got Tambo along with me to go through the complete odds boards. I'm going to ask him some questions, a little Q&A with him as well. Uh, and then we're going to go through everyone top to bottom. I'll give my best bet of the week. If you have any questions, feel free to drop those in the chat now. Um, he's probably like the best DFS golf player that I know. So if you have any questions regarding that, we're going to touch mostly on gambling. But feel free to ask him and I'll try to fire him his way. And then we'll do a little final thoughts segment and get you out of here. Uh, before we get started, uh, this show is brought to you by Fantasy Points. I am a member of their media group. Uh, you can use the promo code LINES22 for 10% off a subscription. They've got a bunch of guys doing really cool content over there with them. Um, good group of fellas over there. I appreciate them supporting me and the show. And we're happy that they are bringing this episode to you. Okay, the course for the U.S. Open, the Country Club in Brookline, just outside of Boston, Massachusetts, a par 70, 7,264 yards will be on the opening scorecard this week. Original holes, like the, in terms of designer, original, like originally this was designed by some members. This is a horse racing track. This is a blue blood country club. They got squash, they got skeet shooting, they got ice skating, curling, all that stuff at this country club. They had some founding members design the original six holes. Followed up in later iterations by Willie Campbell, William Flynn, Reese Jones, and most notably and most recently, Gil Hands did his quote-unquote historic renovation here a few years ago. The open course, which they are going to play, is a composite course consisting of 18 holes that are a combination of the three nine-hole courses that they have. Um, originally, fun fact that the 18 holes that they chose – the members there were arguing during the last U.S. Open which holes to choose from. A woman there said, stop it, fellas. You're being stubborn. Just use the 18 best holes on the course. She routed the whole thing out on a placemat inside the restaurant in the country club. That is now known as the open course that they're going to use. Poa, bent grass, mixed greens, 4,400 square feet. That's tiny. That's microscopic. That's the second smallest that you're going to see all year, barring Pebble Beach. Recent winners, Rom, Bryson, Woodland, Brooks, Brooks, Spieth, DJ. Um, like I said, I mentioned I, I dropped the full course preview. I go hole by hole. I went to a deep dive through the history of the country club. Um, here's a little cliff notes of it. One of the five founding members of the USGA. They've held 16 championships here since 1882. Most recently of note, the 2013 USAM won by Matthew Fitzpatrick. Some other notables in that field, Corey Connors, who I believe finished fourth, also inside the top 10, Scotty Scheffler, Xander Shoffley, Bryson competed in there, shot really well during the, um, the, the, the stroke play version, fell out in match play. Cam Young, Will Zalatoris, Max Homa, Davis Riley all missed the cut, but they were like, 15, 16 years old at the time. So I don't know how much you can take from that. The infamous 1999 Ryder Cup was held here. Uh, the dramatic finish comeback that you all remember was completed on the 17th green when, of course, Justin Leonard, I said Justin Rose on the course preview show, it was Justin Leonard looped in a cross green putt and secured the comeback for the cup. Um, all three previous U.S. Opens held at this course finished in an 18-hole playoff the next day. No longer the case, of course. The USGA uh, ended those rules a few years ago. It's now a two-hole aggregate. 
this place is historic. It's prehistoric in many ways. Um, it's you can tell it's a golf course that was designed by pickaxes and shovels, not excavators and bulldozers and heavy machinery. Um, it's rough around the edges. It's unshaven. It's aggressive. It's these mixtures of this, this Northeastern fescue grass and rock. Uh, it speaks of the times. You can absolutely feel the history in this place. Like I mentioned, Gilhan said these are the smallest greens he's ever worked on. Another note, rough is back uh, in a big way. We will see that graduated U.S. Open rough where the further you get out from the fairway, the higher the rough is and the worse attempt you're going to have into the greens. Uh, key stats, U.S. Open week, right? Tee to green task, always driving, total driving, power with just enough accuracy to avoid jail. Um, around the green this week, look at comps though when you're looking at around the green with rough like this isn't southern hills this isn't augusta where it's the short grass it's a different kind of rough long iron approach shots i'm actually factoring in like a hundred yard shots as well i think there's going to be a good bit of those given i believe there's going to be have to be a lot of pitch outs and you're going to have to get up and down scramble from like 75 to 100 yards i think that's going to be important i looked at strokes gain on difficult golf courses bogey avoidance and u.s open history for me the u.s open is I don't know if this makes sense, but it's less about the venue and it's less about the place that it's held. And it's more about the host, which is the USGA. They set this up no matter where it's at a certain type of way to reward a certain type of player. And speaking of a certain type of guest, I'm, I'm excited to welcome in to go through the entire odds board. Um, you all know him, Tyler Tambolini. Welcome to Preferred Lines, Toe Tag and Tambo. Back for like probably like the third or fourth time. What's up, dude? Yeah, what's up, man? I'm always happy to be on the show. I appreciate you having me on for sure. And I love the U.S. Open. So this was a good one that you picked me for last week. Canadian Open. I am Canadian. That was fun, but uh, incredible event. Not the best week for DFS for me, but I'm excited to go through this one and happy to talk about some betting odds and stuff as well. You mentioned the uh, the the infamous Justin Leonard. Back in 1999, spoiler alert, we're going to probably talk about a different Justin, not Rose, who you met, who you went with earlier on the mishap, but Justin Thomas is a guy I like for this week for sure. But we'll talk more on that later. How you doing, man? I'm doing great, man. Listen, I want to ask you a couple questions before we dig right into the Osborne, just because it's rare that I have someone on here who I think can give um, awesome information to people. So you're probably, like I mentioned earlier, one of, if not the most successful DFS golf player that I know. Tell me about like... When was that first big hit for you? And when was the moment when, you know, you talked to your wife or your girlfriend at the time, whatever it was, and said, like, I'm good at this. I've got a system that I believe in, and I'm going to support us in my family by playing fantasy golf. Like, when was that moment for you? Well, that was two questions. I don't appreciate you asking more than one question at a time there. We're going off Phil Mickelson today in the, in the, in the press conference, but I'll answer them both for you, Joe, because I love okay. you, man. First question uh, first big hit was actually, uh, I want to say, Torrey Pines back in the, I don't know, it was the year like Robert Garrigus made the cut. I actually forget who won. But anyway, I stacked the one side of the courses. The first time I ever sort of wave stacked. It was the $3.20 max. You know, everyone always comes into this stuff like, oh, they can play all the big tournaments because they have all the money. I had That was my first ever big golf win. It was for $40,000. Uh, second place, I believe, it was like hundred k that week to first. Got Or maybe it was 60 40 whatever. I got 40000 bucks. That's where I kind of got my start. And then I had a huge hit back at the Houston Open, the old Ian Poulter chest bump after he needed to get in after the points mishap at the Masters, oh, winning yeah. over Bo Hostler in the playoff. I got first and third in the dog leg. That was like 120000 And then to answer your second question, I've obviously moved around a few different sites doing the content that I do. But um, it was after, right after Roto Grinders, right as I joined Run Pure Sports, where I decided to move back here, east coast of Canada, Closer to Pat, who I've been working with a lot lately. He's out here as well. And we were able to just say, look, I'm going to go into this full time now. The content can sort of pay the bills, whatever you want to call it, and then play DFS. But I've been playing like five or six years now, you know, for you know, that I would say would be seriously. You're on a number of, of different shows a week. You're a 150 lineup guy. I'm sure you're extremely busy. Like what's what's Tambo into outside of fantasy golf? What's your favorite hobby? Ooh, that's a good one. Uh, family's first. always like I, I literally do say that everyone's cliche, but I uh, definitely try and do as much as I can because I am in here quite a bit. I'm around the clock. I think in order to be good 
at this, you have to be obsessed with it. And you have to be like, people are like, how's he always in the lobby? How does he see when the contests first come out? How does he know this on Twitter 24 seven, reading all those articles. So uh, I definitely have a good support system. So I have to return that as well. And I love to do that. So I have a five-year-old daughter. I have a son who's about to turn two. very loving and supportive wife. So it's pretty awesome in that sense that helps me do all this, but she does her job as well. It's uh, and not to put it as a job label, but she's a super mom, right? She's working around the clock. So I, I can't say enough about that. If she didn't help me do this, uh, you know, and do that for our family, I would be nowhere. So I definitely got to say thanks to her. Uh, she's not ever going to watch this. So that kind of sucks, but I'm just that kind of guy. I'm nice. But uh, I would say that, you know, in general, it's a lot of time in the office. And when I'm not in here, I go to the gym four or five times a week, usually earlier in the morning. May, you know, I love eating, drinking, stuff like that. So weekends are, are mainly used for that. My parents also here, nice being back around family. Uh, they have a cottage that's about an hour and a half away. So like we got to go there last weekend or the weekend before. I can't remember now. Uh, and we went there with the family and have, there's a trailer out there and stuff out on the water and right on the Atlantic Ocean. So uh, I, I like that sort of stuff, man. There's not much else that I do. Don't play a lot of outdoor sports or anything like that. So uh, mainly just chopping it up with the family when I'm not in, you know, in the office on the grind. A family man. I've got a I've got a five and a two year old myself. So I imagine a lot of our nights are are very similar, man. But I want to dig into I want to dig into a little bit of your strategy for DFS. And I you don't have to give away the boat here, but like I'm gonna give you sort of two options. One is from a game plan and a strategy standpoint coming into the week. There's like one mindset I think is like I, I think of as like Andy Reid in a sense, where like you have your system, you know what wins golf tournaments regularly, and you're going to play your system no matter what every week. Like the contest will have to adapt to you, and and you know that you're going to hit your quota throughout the year. And the other way is like more like Bill Belichick esque, where you're game planning every week for your opponent, or in this case, it would be game planning for the golf course. So you're changing your strategy every week based on the course and what you see fit. Do you have like a mainstay that you think is going to always work or are you constantly adapting that week in and week out um, to the course? Yeah, definitely. That's the best that question has ever been asked. I've been asked that question a lot of times. So kudos to you busting it out with NFL coaches that I love. And obviously that's the other sport that I play year round when it, when we have it in season, but I love that question. I think it's a great one because I actually would say you have to, first off, you have to always be adapting. Like the game is changing all the time. So you have to know that you have to think about that. But I would really say not to sort of cop out, but it is a mix of both because the mm -hmm. Andy Reid side is I have my system. I do it every, and that's part of, uh, you know, the routine I think is a big factor. If you want to have the success in it is doing the same thing the same way every week, at least setting yourself up for that. The Belichick side that you mentioned that comes into play is sort of figuring out the game plan for this week it, is that's where you have to adapt because you have to see what the field is doing. And most people just go just to ownership. And that's where I think, you know, to, to say one piece, like I don't care about talking about any of us, say whatever. But I think the second part is it's not just the ownership. It's also what people are doing with roster construction. That's the, I think that where people miss the boat. Oh, as long as I pivot off this guy, I'm good. But what if you're pivoting off the guy that you kind of need or is the good chalk, quote unquote, and you could just pair him up with what people are pivoting to, like littlest things like that. Or what if I just avoid that range altogether? Most have too much FOMO to skip a 9K range, like completely every guy and build some lineups with two guys up top and skip over it or little things like that. So uh, I think it's definitely both. The system's always the same. I don't sway from that. I think that's what leads to consistent success in everything yeah. that you do, like getting up every day and going to the gym. That, that's important. You know, if you, if you do that, you're going to get in a swing of things and it's not going to matter as much how strong the workout is or what, if you're doing four to five strong workouts and one you slack off, as long as you're doing it consistently, you're still going to come through in the end, eating plans, all these other factors. But definitely with DFS, you got to have that in place. And then every week, you have to be adapting on the fly because there's just so much that, you know, the, the public basically dictates what's going on and you have to be able to accept the information, figure it out, and then spit it back out with what you think is winners. And then of course, hopefully get that sweat on Sunday that you're looking for. Beautiful. Well said. Um, I want to shift gears and just for a moment before we get into the U S open board, just talk about live tour for a second. We got to right. Uh, yeah. So spar like sparing the, the listeners, the geopolitical and human rights aspects of the whole thing. Let's not talk about that. How does the live tour do you envision make the PGA tour product better? How does it make it better? Is it going to improve things from a consumer standpoint? Do you feel like? 
Well, I, I think it makes it worse. Obviously, I think the more that it continues to pull guys across from it, it it's making PGA uh, in it. It's putting the PGA, I should say, in a tough spot. That, that's the bigger issue. Like we talked a little bit pre-show about some of the stuff throughout the week, uh, you know, that we've seen and, you know, with everything they've got going on. I just think the bigger problem is that it's a moral decision for people. Like I said, we're not going to get into the politics of it. I agree with you a thousand percent on that stuff. But at the end of the day, the money that's being offered is outlandish. So if somebody does want to cross the line or go to there, that gray area where it's like uh, the one thing Phil did say today is, you know, sort of people have big emotional feelings on this. That is true, right? Whether you're for it, against it, uh, you know, whatever it might be, people are getting set with life-changing decisions that they have to decide, not just financially, but morally that, you know, you have to accept the consequences that some people won't like you anymore or, or like what you're doing. So I think that there is going to be Joe more guys that move over. That's just, to me, I don't see any reason why it doesn't happen because the money is just too much. And especially if, you know, they can still play in the majors like we've seen so far in that. Like I said, I think the bigger thing is what does the PGA do to make sure that this doesn't continue on? Like I know Monaghan got on there Sunday talking about like it's an exhibition league and this, that, and the other. You can downplay it as much as you want. And yes, the golf was not great. You know, the, the leaderboard was nothing to you know, get excited about it. Like, look at what we got to see on the Canadian open. Of course, nothing even close competitive level, not the same, all of that. But I think that could change some, the more we see guys go over it. And even the guys on Twitter and everybody talking about it in a bad way, uh, I'm sort of just the guy that wants to soak up the information because it affects what we do and what our livelihood is in golf. And I think at the end of the day, even the guys that are saying like, Oh, these guys are all loser names or they're just washed up guys that are never going to want this. They're, they're not really looking at those. So at some point, even their scale, what I'm trying to say has to tip because what if Rom and Xander go over, then is it still nothing? Like how many guys do we see go over until it's nothing? And I also think they're discounting a little bit of the fact that like, well, you know, Bryson, Ricky, DJ, you could say they're terrible compared to the talent level and pool that we have on the PGA. And I tend to agree from a skill set. But you can't say that those guys don't have eyeballs that go with them or at least a fan base or a following or some sort of influence that is bringing that over. So I think that's more of the big difference there. Yeah, I'm excited to see. I'm hopeful that the competition that it brings to the PGA Tour and having a competitor um, will have benefits to us as the golf fan, as the consumer. I can remember when we were chilling at the DFS Open like three years ago, and it was on the precipice of the players where they were going to roll out this whole system where, um, and they did kind of for the players, but I felt like it was promised for more where you're going to get start to get to see more golf shots and you're going to get to see every player. Um, and they haven't really made any changes besides that one event. There's still the same amount of commercials. There's still the lack of golf shots. There's still the the monotonous stories that go on that eat time on the airways. They haven't done anything about the FedEx cup, which I think it's a disaster. The PIP was a disaster. The tour championship is still a hot mess. Um, all of this stuff like needs change. And I feel like the only thing that is going to push them over the edge to make themselves and make the product better is a genuine competition. And this may force their hand a little bit on that, which is what I'm kind of hopeful for out of it. Yeah. Well, one thing I would add just right quick, because now that you'll think back to your original question, you know, right out of the gate, you're thinking like, how does it help? I guess it helps if they want to be helped. I'll say it that way, because the last totally. point that you made. So, for example, uh, again, being on Twitter and glued to it 24 seven, I'm sure you saw this as well. The cool marketing, like sort of it wasn't a marketing, but like a hype video for Sunday yeah. had like JT had Finau talking to each other, getting their early massage, JT right. sock shoe sock shoe and then had sort of rory in there doing his thing that type of stuff is fun that's what the euro tour was good or dp world tour now when they were doing the content side of things that's stuff that's not out of their budget like when it comes to can we pay the players what the live golf tour is paying them no they cannot they don't have that kind of money unlimited funds billions and billions of dollars that they can just throw against the wall but they do have stuff that they can do from the marketing perspective. And what I would relate it back to, we've been doing a couple of football analogies here, but it goes back. I think Mayo was probably one of the first people to bring it up in the XFL versus NFL in the first series of the XFL. I think the XFL, by the way, is going to be even cooler, like with the rock at the helm and coming back with that, they'll probably find some cool stuff to do and a way to make it. But that's a totally different angle because the NFL is the premier and that's like you, you have something underneath, but people are okay with that. It's a place you can still go to play this. They're trying to make it 
the Premier League and basically saying it's the greatest game on the planet and that it's going to be uh, more superior to the PGA Tour. It's a different angle altogether, and they kind of have the money to try and do that. But I do think if the PGA digs in and gets some of the takeaways, like last one I'll give you is just that you saw the tweet too probably, but the golf shots in the first 30 minutes yes. versus the, the tour, tour, obviously no commercials, no ads, no nothing on live right now for good reason. It makes sense. So the number of shots wasn't what threw me off. That's just math and common sense. They're gonna you're gonna see more shots. Uh, the don't blink aspect was kind of cool, but the you know not from the saying perspective, but being able just to like next shot, next shot, because yep. we actually know some of those guys for the general public, horrible probably. But if the you look at that tweet, it was like eleven segments in the first thirty minutes on a PGA Tour Sunday or whatever final round where they're going through with the pre-made videos and stuff that they have to show off. That's just way too many. I don't care what you say about how hard it is to do or what it is to find. There has to be a better way to find something else to get out there to at least get some more golf shots out on the course. They cut to a playing through on the last hole. Yeah. Um, like they, they, they still, and this hasn't happened as much recently, but there was still a point earlier in this year where there's the 30 set. There's the 30 minute gap between coverages where you're not even seeing the leaders on the course. So it, all of that's still sort of frustrating. Do you think they need to, like, do they need to pony up in like every other sport and pay these guys like the live tour is to play? So not based on the cut. Do they need to have like a, a plan in place where they have a guaranteed set amount that they make per tournament? There has to be something that I guess, you know, maybe some wouldn't call it a challenge, but like, you know, now you get a sponsor's exemption and it's like free paycheck. Come on out and play like kind of maybe maybe it should be like that. Maybe that's a fair way to do it. That's an even added incentive or maybe they have to do a better way of it. But because it's controlled by the sponsors in that situation, it's going to come down to a potential favoritism and whatnot. But who cares at this point? I think they need to do something. And you just nailed it and brought up another you know point in my mind. Last one, I guess, for me. But the uh, I tweeted out this on on Saturday, maybe it was or Friday, actually, the second round. I said, I don't care what anyone says. The one thing I noticed out of watching this and just trying to get dialed into it is how much they're going after the younger crowd, right? Yeah. Our buddy on Twitter, Axis DFS, Brian, he had posted out that it was like almost like Xbox graphics, Xbox yes. graphics. And it was, and it was terrible and cheesy and probably something to be made fun of with the, t the, the sort of the sliders and everything. But there was that there's the streaming aspect of it, like Twitch and that there's the team names and logos like esports and league of legends. They had all this stuff that was targeted at a younger fan base and our boy Nelson Adcock came up and said, like, well, yeah, funny, the fifth point would be their target market is this age. And I get that. But at some point, my dad's not going to be watching golf on Sundays or something. Maybe he's at retirement. He's not doing that anymore. Or there's not going to be the same level of fan base. And it is getting younger and younger by the day. On top of the fact that guys like my age, you know, 35, are still you know, feeling young enough that we can go, like, I get all what's going on. Nothing like that's technology that I understand perfectly. So mm -hmm. I think people forget sometimes too. I'm not saying this is what's going to make them profitable. I don't think they care about that ever, nor will they probably ever be, but they still going to try and do something. And people forget that the G in golf stands for gambling. We've seen it on the PGA tour. We see it on what's going to be with this tour. The more you can get people into it to be able to start betting on it. Why do you think there's people doing like, like us? Why are we looking for more golf shots? Why are we looking for no cut throughs on the fight? Like we have so much money or most people do on the line. And even those that don't deserve that same coverage or shots and things as well. So uh, I don't know for me, I think that's a big factor of it that at least live is going after that. That again, I think PGA's best angle PGA tour that is, is to get after some of the stuff they're seeing early that makes sense and try and pull over what they actually can and can afford. And that, that'd be what I would say on that. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is uh, a buddy brought this up to me and I went back and listened to it on the rich Eisen show. This is an idea that Greg Norman has had since the nineties and they shut him down. The PJ tour shut him down. He wanted players, the top 50 players in the world to get together and have a guaranteed paycheck. So they shut his idea down and then ran with it and called it the WGC. So they like basically stole his concept and that's what the WCC events have essentially become. So this has been a long time coming and they've had enough time. I guess my point is yeah. to make adjustments and they've just been stubborn about it and said, we're the PGA tour. No one's ever going to stop us. And they might be at risk of that at this point. The archaicness just in general, like you talk about even the cut line, 
Joe, something yeah. again, we're familiar with for gambling, but they're going to like, we do it every, we're still doing it. Nothing's yeah. changed. They, like someone said, I forget who, I think it was Kyle Porter a couple of weeks ago. was like, can someone like literally just get these guys data golf and give yes. them subscriptions so they can at least not have to guess what the cut line is going to be. They're writing guys off for the weekend and the cut line's like 70% to be two strokes worse than them based yeah. on the current weather and the way the waves are playing and all this factor, all these factors. And they're just completely you know, clueless when it comes to that stuff. So I think that's the biggest factor. Like you said, it's just very yeah. archaic. They haven't made a lot of changes and they think the same sustained model is going to work and they're counting on that. And that's just not how things work these days. It's it just, unfortunately it's not. So not, they're yeah. definitely not dead in the water. It's the PGA tour. I'm not calling that. I'm just saying it's no surprise to me that these guys got off with this as able to get it rolling. And now we're starting to see more guys go and things like that. Like it just doesn't surprise me even beyond the guaranteed money, which is the number one reason they're joining. Of course, that's what's pulling them. Yep. But it does make sense to me that another tour could work regardless. Like if someone wanted to pull this stuff, the money helps, of course. Yeah. And you mentioned the gambling aspect. They're kind of halfway in on gambling. So they're, they're, they're in, yeah. but what their content around gambling is to those of us who know it is, is laughable. And to those that don't know it and aren't, familiar with gambling they don't care so it's not appealing to anyone yeah. because those who don't care and are just there to take a sunday afternoon nap don't care anyways and the ones that are there for gambling are laughing at the people trying to tell us about the odds and all this kind of stuff so there needs to be some change made i'm hopeful that this is going to spur it we're like a couple minutes in i don't want to spend any more time on it and kind of shift over um to the u.s open what are your first thoughts on the country club like were you were you kind of in line with what i was saying with the course preview or do you have anything to add there particular to the course yeah it's really tricky man this course looks like so much fun mm -hmm. i literally cannot wait for this weekend just to get to it because you know thursday kick off and, and roll from there and be able to see it play out but um a little bit of you know the same stuff like uh, you know quite a bit of it actually but like the distance it's usga setup still i think that's you know for, forget all the other stuff but there is some factors to be said with that so um you know i think it was the fried egg show that they had there with Andy where he was going on about it. And he was saying like, basically the long and lucky is kind of a thing when you think about it here, where it's like, there is some bad lies out there, even if you hit it perfectly, or you can have a bad run out based on that. So it's going to be something when it comes down to that. But I think in the end, uh, you know, around the green scrambling bunker play, it just, I, I did the full watch, like go through hole by hole myself to try and gauge yeah. it out and get some numbers down and put them pad to paper on it. And like, it's just, it looks very tough. I could easily see the score being like par. Maybe we always have breakouts, new technology, incredible young studs, but it looks like wind. So I could see like minus three, minus four for somebody to win it. But at the same point, I don't, I don't feel like that's going to be the score. I'm wrong on this stuff all the time. It's not my, my best skill set, but it does definitely feel like an extremely tough challenge for these guys. And so that, that makes it fun. I love it. I don't see anything that's going to throw guys off completely where it's unfair, I guess one thing I would say and get your thoughts on is like, there's a lot of talk of, you know, long and accurate is always a good thing at, at a U.S. Open, but people are focusing more on the accuracy and not on the length because of, you know, it's not winged foot. You can't bomb and gouge all of that. But my one takeaway would be like, if you are getting it out there, like what I worry about is like the long irons in. So someone who's super accurate off the tee, but then has to come in with 200 yards it can plug in those bunkers. It's if it hits those greens, it can bounce off way further off into the thickest of the rough versus if you're still coming in, you're not going to bomb and gouge it. You're just going to play it. Like what we talked about earlier, almost like a, you know, an Andy Reed mixed with Belichick. You, you have a process yeah. going in and then you adapt on the fly. But if the, if you're out there and you have a shorter iron in and it hits the green and then rolls off, you're rolling into like the fringe or like the shorter rough. than if it just flies off or if you fell off and have the normal run out, into the fairway or into a bunker, it's going to be nice and gentle and just softly place itself in there. And you have your, you have yourself a chance to get up and down versus other guys are going to, you know, get up and down. All right. And it's going right up and right back down in that same rough and then have another try at it. And they're going to put themselves in double bogey situation and all that. And it's just not good for the, the mindset in golf and it's not good for the scorecard. So I think that to me was the kind of thing that stood out most is I don't really care so much about the accuracy if I can still get the distance, I think enough of these guys that are long can be accurate. And when they talk about like those lucky lies, what that tells me is even the guy that is long and accurate could still have some bad luck out there. So what, what's the difference really? So long yep. around the green bunker play, that's pretty much where I'm focused at.
Yeah, I'm about probably in terms of driving of like 65-35 on distance over accuracy. Um, it's U.S. Open, like you mentioned. So there's a mold, athletic, powerful guys. Like, just look at the Rom, Woodland, Brooks, DJ. They've all got a very similar um, physique and, mm-hmm. and ability to be very strong and move it off the tee. And like you mentioned greens are tiny man they're they're microscopic so coming in from 220 yards even if you're from the fairway you may not be able to hold it and the rough typically is worse around the greens like being able to come in with a shorter club gives you a much better opportunity i think to to hold the greens i I'm think gonna... so and like you just said too some of those landing areas is, you know the average is 4300 square feet or for the greens themselves some yeah. of the landing areas are like 700 square feet like to me, that's why, like I said, I love JT and we'll get to that. We're going to the betting board in a minute anyway, but like, that's the situation where, like I said, not only is he long, even if he's not the most accurate, that's what people keep saying about JT. He's not as accurate with that length. And he's not as even as long as a guy like Rory. Look, Rory was walking, what, 30 yards past him yesterday. You yeah, know, saying, See you later, JT. I'll be up at my ball and we'll talk about it in a second here, but I'm just saying JT still got the talent to do it. So I'm just looking at it from that angle more so. And like I said, if JT puts it to that 700 square foot radius perfectly, he's great. But if he doesn't and it's close by, him rolling off the green is still right there. He can find his way to the hole, make his power and move on. Somebody else coming in long, who knows? First off, they can go that you saw some of the 280, 290 yard drives roll right down into the rough or roll yep. into the water, even if the middle of the fairway. So such a precise course. And even today, um, I think it was the no laying up guy showed like, here's the whole nine, all the divots were in at like the 280 yard range. So guys were laying up. It was like, again, no room for error. You put it 285. See ya. It's so like, oh. you need to put it like 260, hope that it hops up or otherwise this, or you can just bomb the shit out of it, go super long and left into a little bit of rough and it sucks. But I think again, you're still up there close enough. You still have a shorter shot. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, a, I'm treating it like what you said. There's always been a mold. I'm rolling with it again. I'm just not expecting bomb and gouge. I'm just expecting right. the guys to bomb it to maybe give themselves better opportunities based on like what 50 to 55% of greens and regulation likely to be what these guys hit. So you're, you're going to need that short game either way. Yep, totally. I'm going to bring up the odds board now uh, brought to you by my boys over at fantasy golf pod. So I'm going to bring up the odds checker grid here. Just kind of go through some names at the top. Don't feel pressured. I know you probably don't have a lot of your picks in just yet. Um, but just maybe a few like maybes guys you like guys you don't like. So Rory's at 11 to one, Justin Thomas, best number out there right now is 12 to one. Scotty Scheffler world. Number one is 14 to one. John Rahm. There's some 15s out there over on FanDuel. I believe some 16s as well. If you shop that around and then you get to Cam Smith and Xander, both at 22 to one, you mentioned Justin Thomas. So are you leaning him? over over Rory, Scotty, or Rom? Because really, if you're going to go at the top, and U.S. Open typically weeds out uh, the inferior players, right? So you look to the top more, I think, than any other major. Is JT that guy for you at this point, or are you still, you still mulling over a few? Well, I'm really debating him and Rom because uh, I missed the boost. Uh, there was a site out there that had him up to 18 at one point, and I'm sort of regretting not taking that now, I don't think. They're going to give it back to us, but I, I still like Rom. Like, I, again, you talk about, uh, think about the memorial, even the biggest issue he had was getting that around the green game back. He did it there. Uh, we've seen guys plenty of times find it at the courses they found it at before. We just saw Will Zalatoris at the Masters again, at the PGA Championship again. Like, we, we've seen these guys come out and find their games at certain places. Rom at the memorial was no secret. The guy played what C game and came T nine. Like it's just one of those things that I think he could find it here, but for JT and now I'll elaborate further. Cause we were already talking about it. Uh, I was really happy with how yesterday ended. It didn't give me a boost yet on the numbers, but hopefully for, you know, daily fantasy this week, especially on DraftKings, I think he'll come in right after Rory, but I think Rory in the high stakes stuff could push like 30, 35%. So there's that we're talking betting and I'll go to it in a second, but just in general, if you go before hole 16, 17, 18 yesterday, the whole world was like, Rory's destroying the land. He's the best player of all time. They're going to, you know, he's going to win again, all this. And while he was actually giving it away, and if you follow the stats, JT was crushing him on approach. In the end, JT gave, gave away like a stroke and a half on approach on the last three holes, which in turn gave Rory the better stats by the end of the day. But don't forget Rory's hole outs, his 30-foot downhill putt, all these things. I love what Rory's doing right now. 
But I think like Rory and Xander are two guys that people see the numbers all the time. Xander for U.S. Opens, Rory for majors. And on paper, my dad sees them, says, damn, he did pretty good. He came in second. No, he had zero chance to win the Masters, Rory. Like at one point, I think he got to 1%, even with the hole out on 18, everything. It was just very unlikely he was ever going to win that. It was too little, too late. Uh, PGA Championship, he had a shot. What happened? Hot start. See you later. Goes away. So for JT, I loved what I saw yesterday. I think the bones on the bag thing is bigger than people think. It's little things like that. But, you know, people always say it at the hardest courses. So the Masters or any U.S. Open, in my mind, it would be at the Open. All the majors, really. I think that's where the caddy adds the most value. And you can just see, I, I feel like he listens to bones much more than he listened to Jimmy Johnson. As much as he respected and loved Jimmy Johnson, now you see him really, you know, having a bigger conversation with Bones. And I think it matters, man. And I think, again, you talk about that all-around game. He's better around the greens. He's great out of the bunker. He's fine with pretty much everything. He's got almost every shot in the bag. So, um, and I think he does. So I really do like him. He's 12 to 1. I don't like betting guys like that, but my, my whole board right now is like 40, 80, 80, 100. I got four bets, which we'll get to as we go through it. But... If I can get him a, a boost, or I mentioned this to you pre-show, if you've got Justin Thomas starts late on yeah. Thursday, and I'm not expecting you get a big boost from this. Most say you never will, whatever. Here's my example, though. If someone gets the three under early, like a, a bigger name, we could see that, and he comes out and struggles, those first four holes are tough, and goes to like two over out of the gate, maybe it's just 16 or 18, but that's the boost number I was going to bet him at anyway. So I'll, it's not a big boost. But I will take it because I think we got no problem. And what do you remember, Joe? Um, the number of people got JT at, at the PGA Championship. Like, what did he battle back from at Southern Hills? I think there was 80s out there yeah. late on Sunday, Ooh. like heading into the back nine. I mean, he was eight back, right? That's the thing, man. It, it's and look, maybe a different scenario there. I think that's one thing maybe. why I do love the U.S. Open so much. You are very unlikely to get a board. I'm not going to take away from those guys. You know, I don't want to shit on too many people, but I'm just saying, like, it was. It wasn't a scary board for JT that Sunday, let's just say, yeah. for him, right? He said it after. He's like, I know what Mito was feeling because I've been in PGA Championships that I buckled in before, before he won his first PGA Championship, JT that was. And he said, so I know what he was feeling down the stretch, but he was not feeling that this time. And that's what allowed JT to go through, find his way to the playoff, and then get the job done. Poor Willie Z. Well, you know, he's a great player. I think at DFS this week, we'll talk about him in the betting market. But for me, it's JT for sure, Joe. Long answer, but I, I do love some JT this week. Yeah, I think I'm with you there. I haven't pulled the trigger yet. I won't be betting Rory. So I bet Rory, um, I bet Rory big last week. And I also parlayed him with the with the Warriors to win the series. So I'll be keeping an eye on on game five here coming up. But I just it's just it's the same number. I'm just not gonna go back to it again. So I'm gonna write him off. Rom, I have concerns about, and most of it stems from from what he does to himself i feel like he's he's putting a ton of pressure on his own shoulders right now and um he lacks a little bit of positivity that i want to see from him and i know that's always the case but i've just never been one to one to really one to really bet him so i'm between jt and scheffler really scheffler's putter is concerning um and when your putter is off that bothers you like i know as a player a guy who plays once or twice a week um when you can't make a putt when you give yourself opportunities it eats away at you and it sometimes can destroy your confidence jt has the utmost confidence i think he has the best caddy in golf right now they mentioned um i think it was on the coverage Dottie mentioned last week that on the on that rink hole she was like bones was the only guy who stepped outside of here to get an idea of the wind and JT stuck it there and basically tied Rory and then and then faltered at the end. But I think it's not a horrible thing that he didn't win that tournament. Um, I'm okay with him. The finishes lately have been fantastic. The form is great. He checks all the boxes for me in terms of avoiding bogey. When he does miss, which is occasionally is his error, is off the tee, a, a big, swipey, wide right miss. Um, I trust him to sort of pitch out and get up and down from 80 to 100 yards, just as much about anybody. Um, as we kind of move down here, so I have a big Cam Smith number. I don't love it right now. It's it's a great number that I got preseason back in December, but I, I there's some things that I don't love about the form. But there's question marks, frankly, about all these guys. Xander, 
Cantlay hasn't performed in majors at all. He's 25 to one. Speeth is 28 to one. That's not bad. Morikawa, something's up with, but he's 30 to one here. Matt Fitzpatrick, we mentioned uh, earlier the US AM win. I don't know how much stock I put into that. He just, he can't seem to get over the hump. I don't know that this is the spot for him. And, and Sam Burns and Will Zalatoris also there at 30, who I have some interest in as well. Anyone there stick out to you that you want to mention? Um, you mentioned Lowry, right? In there, Lowry's thirty-five, so we can talk about Lowry too. Yeah, I, I guess he's shorter at my book. That doesn't say I, I missed a forty on him today. So you know, again, another guy I would wait on. I actually don't have a lot of love for the other guys in here at all. Like you know, I've talked about Willie Z in the past about these numbers. It has to be a bigger number. I think he, he's a you know a prime candidate. He's been playing incredible in majors. I he's going to win on tour. I don't know if a major is going to be his first win, so I have to wait and see about that. But the problem is with him there is like you can get Burns be the guy that I would have if anybody the most interest in. But again, I think you, you just got to look at the number. It's, it's fair. It's not like a good number. It's like Morikawa, Morikawa, two majors and his number's sitting right there. So Burns Morikawa would be probably the better bets. They're not on my card. They're not going on my card unless, you know, something comes up with Burns. I'd, I'd have more uh, favoritism for Burns for sure. He's won me a lot of money this season and just something about that guy, man, like the ability, uh, look, Davis Riley's no joke. He took him down in the Valspar, walked right up, putted it ring around the Rosie at the back end and said, here, go make your chip if you want to do it. And then doubled down on that at the Schwab with, by the way, if you didn't watch the clip, I know a lot of people don't like, again, I'm so invested in it, but like you might not see this. So he's a right-handed golfer going off the fringe to put this baby up there. What 35 or 38 feet or something. You watch the replay. Probably not everyone caught it, but Scotty Scheffler is standing like right in front of where his eyes would be. If yet you don't look up when you're putting, but he's putting here Scotty Scheffler's right there with his arms crossed like this. Natural, normal to wait to see the shot. But tell me that ain't pressure. You get the number one guy. I know he's your buddy too, but you just pop that thing in his mouth and say, you're way down the hill. If you can go make that, Scotty, we'll go to the next hole. If not, I'll take my third win to try and catch up to you and does it like nothing. So certified killer. I love Sam Burns. I think he's extremely underrated still. Again, in our bubble, not at all. People know who he is. He'll be popular at 8,300 on DraftKings, all that stuff. But most people, the average golf fan, has no idea who Sam Burns is because they might not have caught those wins at the Valspar and the Schwab and things like that. It wasn't big-time wins. He doesn't have a great major record, but how can you? You have to get one at some point. You know, mm-hmm. Everyone can start a little slower than others in that stuff. Either way, I'd feel good about him having a 54-hole lead or being in the mix on Sunday. He could have won yesterday if he put the yeah. gas down. It just didn't happen. So uh, I definitely like the Burns call. He almost won yesterday the same way he almost won or he did win at the Schwab, which is posting a ridiculous early number and waiting and getting into a playoff. And like you mentioned, I love his killer instinct. I'm close on him. And I talked to you about him earlier. I haven't done it yet, but he's the one I'm closest on on this range. Number one in approach over the last 24 rounds. He's doing it a good bit with the putter, but he is a good putter. So it's not like abnormal. And like I mentioned earlier, like, the mold of a U.S. Open prototypical player that they set up these courses to reward. Um, he's kind of fits in that mold, right? Athletic, strong, powerful, um, big prowess. He's just got it all. And I'm close. Maybe the, I don't know. We get much drift because I think he's going to be popular, um, but he's the one that I'm closest on moving down. Tony Finau is playing well. Victor Hovland's lost a little bit of steam all the way down to 35 to one. Joaquin Neiman, 40. Hideki's kind of sleeper feels like to me this week at 41 to one. Sung M has been very popular this week, still a 40. I know there were some big numbers out there before then. DJ, 44. Brooks, 45. Like these are big time names here um, in the 40 range. Hideki, Brooks, DJ. Anything for you, Tambo? Well, the DJ one was a mistake because they boosted him again today. I bet him at 40. I, I just like the number. I like the idea of the live factor where, again, I, I guess I'm calling it sort of the anti-live where everyone's sort of against it. And just in general, anytime people are sleeping on DJ, like the number just felt like auto bet. Now, I didn't know they were going to go and pop Brooks to 65 or whatever, 66, where you could say the same thing for him. But both those guys have just not been good. So, I, like, you tweeted it today, and I just – Pulled your old tweet because I remembered it. I sort of laughed a little bit because that was different. That was, you know, the opposite thing he was saying. But either way, he doesn't care who's betting him or not. So whatever. I just thought it was funny. But, um, you know, one thing I will say just in general, like 
sometimes you just play guys for the number. I, I, I'll tell you the, what I don't like. I, I don't like the Sung JM number. Like, I, I just don't, I know others got it even at 66 or whatever. Like, I, I don't know. I don't see him winning this personally. And I think the bigger decisions on DraftKings at $7,600 where, yeah, you know, it'll be 25% owned, but that's because his price is absolutely ridiculous at 7,600 and his odds are at 40 to one. And it's, he's capable. I think he could be in the mix. Can he go pull the trigger and get the win and get his first major at a U.S. Open? I don't know. So um, definitely a super talent. Uh, you know, people forget how young he is because of some of the other guys that are winning around him. And even lately, like people talking about Cam Young and Davis Riley and Mito and all those, uh, him already with the wins in the bag, already a uh, you know, guy that was touted plenty coming into his, you know, think about what he was doing on the web.com tour back then, now Corn mm -hmm. Ferry tour, just winning all the time, the money, stacking it up, all that. And then last note, just to go back for, you know, around the cell, because I don't have a lot in this range, but the Burns situation, he actually tees off on 10 the same time JT tees off on one. So if you want to play my theory of that, like he's, he's a guy that would get some drift after someone goes low early on more than a guy like JT. JT might get two points, three points. I, I think you could see Burns go up from there. So if you don't see a number that you think you need to pounce on right now, I think you could wait and see what happens on, on Thursday afternoon. So, I was trying to think about this. Where would you rather have your guy tee off? 10, I think, is going to be the hardest hole on the course. So they played this uh, as a par 5 in the Ryder Cup, a slightly longer, but they call this hole the Himalayas. It's totally blind. It's going to be awesome. They're playing it as a 499-yard par 4. This is not where I want to start my U.S. Open. There's rock formations. Like, you can get stuck on a, on a rock. I remember Davis Love hitting one, like, on a top of a cliff on this hole. Uh, coming into the green and then you have the the weird 130 to 100 yard like par three then 13 is like a composite hole where it's not even a real hole it's two holes joined together and you're playing to a tiny green over water that's meant to be a short par three that they turned into a long par four I think I'd much rather start on the front but um, that's a good point on looking at guys to wait and maybe kind of feeling things out so I think I like Hideki here I haven't bet him I know the concerns are there. There's not like a whole lot that we still know about the injury. He didn't look great at the Memorial before the DQ, but I still think he's the best player here right now. DJ, I'm not going to be a part of Brooks. Look, I know you, you guys know I love Brooks and you want me to be there, but Brooks, listen to this. Brooks, since March, we're here at June 13th today, since March, Brooks has played less rounds of golf than Tiger Woods on tour. Yeah, Missed the crazy. cut at the Masters, played four at the PGA Championship. We haven't seen him since. He's told us himself before he needs two to three weeks to tune himself up. He's coming off the wedding. He's coming off a honeymoon. I know that he's injured. Um, he might have hip surgery on the way soon. He's not in good form anyways. He's not even playing well. I don't care what the number is. I'm just not going to get there this week. And he's played six competitive rounds of golf in the last three months. So I'm not going, I'm just, I'm going to have to plug my nose and ignore it in the situation. What about Berger is there at 50? Now he seemed to be heading all in the wrong direction, but then we had a glimpse at the Memorial that seems to pull everyone back in. Did you catch a good number on Berger? I did. Yeah. So I, I got the 80 on the boost with a top five Good. each way. So I feel better about that. I, d I actually don't like it at like 40, 45. If you could still get like the 66 or whatever that's I seen in some places, I'm, I'm okay with it, but uh, I don't think he's going to win to be honest. Uh, you know, I think he's a good, you know, th I think the thought is there. I think, you know, a guy that you could see be in the mix after 54 holes and you'll be three back and there's a shot on Sunday, but I feel like I'm, I'm cheering for the each way. But at 80, I'm going to take it because it wouldn't surprise me if he won. It's just not what I expect to happen. So uh, meaning in the sense that like it's Berger, he, he could win a U.S. Open, I think. But I just don't from what I've seen all season, how this course looks, everything. I don't I don't know if you will go out and win the thing, but at 80, I'll, I'll pay to find out. Yep, I like that. Um, I did bet Max Homa earlier. I got a 66 on him. I think it's a decent number. I think it's a decent bet. But here's. So I do this thing, Tampa, my best bet of the week. I'm going to bring up a little graphic here in a second. So last week it was Rory. So I'm coming in hot this week. Best bet of the week, all the way at 50 to one. I took it today. It's Cameron. Cameron Young. Young. 
Here's my case for him. Fourth in total driving, and I think he's even better than that, honestly. Um, above him is Griot. Griot ain't winning this. Um, then you have Rom and you have Scheffler. They're both great. He's also really good in opportunities gained. Sixth in driving distance, which I mentioned I think is going to be a big plus if you can keep out of jail. So the graduated rough, um, it's going to be like two, two and a half inches for a certain width off the fairway then it gets to five and when you're at five six it's pitch out range par four scoring 450 to 500 yards there's seven of those on the card this week he ranks third here's a couple of other things like he just strikes me as the prototypical american parklands golfer um he fits that mold that i mentioned earlier of u.s open players powerful young athletic um, with the exception of Spieth, they've pretty much all checked those boxes. I think he's well-suited sort of take on a U.S. Open task. So one of the disadvantages in being a rookie on the PGA Tour is you've never been to these places before, right? You're going to these places where everyone else has can draw on experience from years past. They know little things. They know where the locker room is. They know where the range is. They know all the little stuff that they had written down from previous experience and their caddy has experience there as well. A lot of young players will gravitate toward a caddy with a lot of experience. Cam Young did it. Chose his best friend from Wake Forest. So he, they're both kind of going into every tournament every week, totally blind and at a disadvantage. This week kind of levels the playing field because nobody's been here. There isn't a single player on the PGA tour in this event I don't believe that is a member at this club. He saw it, like I mentioned, when I believe he was 15 years open, 15 years old at the U.S. Open. But my point being is that it's a level playing field for Cam Young, which he often doesn't get. So familiarity um, with the course, with the situation, he's kind of leveled that. In the recent form, you know, he, he had the 84 at the Memorial, but before that he was first round leader that week third at the PGA Championship, second at Wells Fargo, and I think TPC Potomac is a great comp course, and a third at the Heritage. So if he plays well at that final round, the Memorial, he's coming in as good as anybody um, on these sort of classical designs. Riviera is another one where he finished second at. I really feel like this kid is sort of primed and ready. I think this is a good betting number. I think that he's discount Will Zalatoris and maybe even Sam Burns to a degree where you're catching another 20 points on him. I know he hasn't won neither of those, you know, neither has Will Z. So I'm going to give the, my, my bucks over to Cam Young this week. Um, that's my favorite play of the week. What do you think there? Well, you don't got to sell me on Cam Young. Guy won me you a like lot it? of money at the PGA Championship and Showdown. I needed him to come through, and it was from thick, rough greenside that he chipped it up to four feet, four and a half feet, a, a very sweaty putt that he made to get the bogey-free round and keep it in check. And I'll elaborate, because I, I got to say a, a couple things you said I'm just in on completely. Like, I, I give Willie Z so much shit. It's not about Willie Z. He's been so incredible at majors, and I get it. I'm, I'm just saying it's not – we'll leave him out, and I'll stop, you know, hampering on this guy. But – teammate of Willie Z, right? He's teeing yeah. off with Willie Z. So very comfortable pairing. You want that in the US Open. Back to your first timer, sort of first of all, that first time, first time seeing the course and very, very comfortable cool. in that sort of sense. I kind of like that angle to have a, a good pairing to go out with. His dad, the uh, the club pro at Sleepy Hollow. I don't know much about this course in New York, but I've been told that is an extremely difficult course and why you yes. see Cam Young come out with the driver and be hot on these courses that are very tough. And then lastly, you just go back to um, you know, the wins, he had two on the Corn Ferry Tour. Willie Z only ever had one. So he actually has more wins even in the previous league that they played in. And and one more addition I said lastly, but just going back to it, he was six under. I just was trying to find it here to see it. He was six under standing on 16 tee box at the PGA Championship. Don't forget five under went to a playoff. Yeah. So he had three holes to go, just needed to par out, and he would have been the eventual PGA championship. Again, butterfly effect. Some things can change if he does that. Maybe something else doesn't happen. Who knows? But either way, he got to the number that was required to win with three holes to go. It happened to Mito on 18 where it fell apart. Happened to Cam Young a little bit there. I think the 84, though, at the Memorial will linger in everyone's head versus looking at what we, we look all the time at last 24 last 50 and now you're going to tell me your sample size is one and that's why yeah. you can't bet this guy or play him this week i think that's crazy and i think even uh you know on DraftKings at 8800 he's going to be overlooked at least a little bit when you think of neiman and then you've got fitzpatrick burger burns Finau, homa it's just i don't care what you say he'll get some but you can't get that much so i kind of love it 
Uh, 50, still tough because of the fact that it's 50 to one. But look, that's the books know too. We're not, we're not going to find much more sneakier than that. Like that, that's still a good number for the guy and for the caliber of player he is. So I do like that as your best bet for sure. Yeah. It's, it's funny because when you're a young player and you're close, there's like this, at some point you find yourself into contention enough times and you don't break through like getting yourself up there and getting yourself the reps on a major at Riviera at these big tournaments on Sundays is a great thing for your confidence. But at some point when you do it like a certain amount of times, like maybe Zalatoris was there. I thought maybe Scheffler was getting near to that point. Maybe Matt Fitzpatrick is there where it can kind of work against you and the confidence flips from like, yeah, okay, I, I was there. Like I was this close. I was one shot away from winning the PGA Championship to I messed up. I, 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 you know, I folded once again. I don't think he's there yet. I think all of his experiences leading up to this, he got both of his Corn Ferry Tour events uh, that he won were in June as well. So familiar oh, yeah. with summer golf. That little from, nugget. That, that's a good tidbit right familiar there. Familiar with Northeast golf, you know, growing up in New York. Um, I really like him this week, but kind of moving on. Um, Connors is there at 60. He Mito's there at 66. Tommy Fleetwood, I know, has got some love. Like, as I'm kind of scrolling through there, I know it's kind of probably tough to see on your screen, but anyone kind of stick out to you in this range? We'll call it like 60 to 80 that you like. I, I bet the Fleetwood at 80, I got the same boost as Burger. Okay. And I said they're basically the same dude. One, one's from England, <laughs> one's from America. So, like, why, why not just bet them both? at the same thing so i was like ah whatever and I'm, I'm good with those numbers now there's no there's no boosts out there even near that and then the one you mentioned earlier that you said 66 uh i took him on the fantasy golf degenerates podcast preseason at 100 was max homa okay so i think again we've seen a you know sort of a, a switch click and going back to burns earlier where oh he doesn't have a good majors record it takes time like homa hasn't even got there yet himself but he has looked a little bit better in the last couple so i think if you look at homa at a you know 66 even it's another guy that like he's at least won very tough events in very strong fields on very challenging courses that people should know about so like riv wells fargo things like that so i definitely think he's got the complete game to be able to do it him and fleetwood you know he was from a little bit before but that's all i've got interest in at least down in this range Anyone, as we kind of creep up here to 100, um, you know, Keegan's got a lot of Northeast connections. Patrick Reed has made some headlines recently with a little bit of uh, glimpses of, of form and then obviously jumping ship to live. Taylor Gooch is there who jumped to the live tour. Um, Adam Scott Bryson is 130. Kokrak Henley's 150. Any of these guys, like anyone 101 and above, I could just kind of open it up to you that, that you think has a shot to win a U.S. Open. It's so tough, man. Like, I it's, know. you know, someone did the math on it too. I think it was like the last 13, there's been like two or three long shots. So it just doesn't happen. And you can tell a story for some of them, I guess, but I, I really do struggle. I was trying to look up a couple things right quick, but uh, I've, I've got, you know, nothing else on my end. Who Was there any guys that you thought that can get the job done? Like for me, when it gets to this, it's not, you know, as ideal, but throw a little bit on them outright, but you're looking at more like top 40 bets. Right. Because yeah, you know, you're looking at top four. It's like you have the each ways, which I think makes a, a big difference when you're looking at these guys down here. But you're looking at top 40s, top 20s. I have an early the same time that I made the Cam Smith bet, which I have at 50 to one. I took Russell Henley at 150 to one. That number is still out there, which is a big disparity, which is like kind of why I like looking at odds checker. So on DraftKings, he's 65 to one. You can get a 150 there. He's still a great short iron player. And like if he can find like he competed, I think last year at Torrey Pines, right? Wasn't he kind of in the in the top 10 there? Yeah, I had the thing up here earlier. I was just going to pull it back. Yeah, so I don't I don't mind Henley. Like, do I think he's going to win a U.S. Open? Yeah, no. 13th last year for sure. OK, Um. so, yeah, I, I just think that there's a way that this could play where um, he could really take advantage. I think he's a top five short iron and wedge player where um, there are a couple of holes where, where those will come into play. I think a lot of the par fives, there's only two of them, but I think that both of them, depending on where you're at, the one is reachable, but there's a big risk in going for it. The other one's not reachable at all. So those turn into wedge holes. They turn into three shot holes. And if you could score with your short irons, there should be three or four opportunities for birdies out there that maybe someone like him could get. But I think you kind of nailed it. I mean, we're looking at a big time field here. John here brings up Arnod. I don't know. Like, do you have any thoughts there? 
No, none of like the Euro guys, especially we'll see how it goes in DFS this week, but I'm not betting any of them, but I think you're just playing them as value plays or something. That's where I'm saying. Like, uh, you know, even, even are now I had them on my sheet here. Cause I know it's a betting show, but just to pull up, I'll go, uh, go what I've got with what we talked about earlier. My process, like, um, are now is like an interesting DFS play at 6,800. I might get him in the MME or something. I would not put him in any of my high stakes or anything like that. He wouldn't pop in, but maybe in like the, the Millie maker is something you could play him there, but I just, I don't see anything. What, what people are looking at, I think is like, if you go to fantasy national, you're going to see the PGA championship, but everything else before that, that's getting tied into it is from like us open back in 2019. So I, I'm not super high on him. I, I don't know if you have any guys down here, or any of these euros that you like, but uh, not nothing really on him for me. Yeah, nothing that really sticks out to me. I'm not, I don't really get too much into the DP World Tour. So I kind of leave a lot of those guys off. I know Ryan Fox is playing well. He's there at the same number as Arnos at 300 to one. Uh, Sam Horsefield, I know, re- recently got a win. He's 300 to one. Um, it's just going to be the, the like, I love long shots. You guys know this. This ain't the event for it. Uh, you want to take some top 40s on these guys. That's fine. I think some of them make great. 6k dfs plays where you're going to have to get them in but in terms of from a, an outright betting perspective i think that we kind of nailed the guys that you can look for and they're for the most part 80 to 1 and and up and you're probably going to need one or two guys uh from the top that are really going to end up getting it done yeah he, i mean arnos is a bomber people are looking at that too i think just in general some of the stats but you're you're asking a lot for something like that it's just that you know from a win perspective no way in my eyes so i don't bet it but your money, it's only a few bucks. You can throw whatever you want on it. Just not for me. <laughs> yeah, totally, man. Listen, um, I appreciate you, dude. Um, thank you so much for coming on. This was great. I know I, I kept you for a long time, but I appreciate your time as always. Um, uh, before we get you out of here, tell everyone like how I know you got a bunch of stuff lined up this week. I know the fantasy golf degenerates pod is already out. Where else can they find some of your great content? Appreciate you, man. Thank you so much for having me on. It's always a lot of fun. I was excited to get on this one with you, so I'm happy we could go through it. I'm definitely excited for the U.S. Open. A lot going on. You mentioned it. You can follow me on Twitter, at Toe and Tambo. Definitely put a lot of stuff on there. I've got my Tambo's Tidbits thread that comes out every Wednesday morning, so that'll be up with 15 of my favorite free pieces around the industry that you guys can check out. Puts it all in one place for you. It's pretty unique in that sense. Gave away uh, $600 Millimaker tickets this week and plan to continue to do that in the future. So I like to give back as much as I can there. And then of course, rumpuresports.com. You guys can head over there, check it out, do all my premium content over there. If you want more of my stuff that we talked about, my process with everything set up for exposures, talking roster construction, all the stuff people have a little bit more challenging time with myself, big T and others do some premium content over there for golf. And you can get a 50% off your first month with promo code DGEN50, D-E-G-E-N-5-0. So check us out, rumpuresports.com. Tambo's tidbits is everyone's favorite thread, dude. So like the way that you do it, and I mentioned this to you last time, it's just authentic and genuine where I, I see these coming up and I, I can kind of feel the sense. A lot of people are doing them to sort of bust the Twitter algorithm yeah. and get someone to click it. But um, you could just tell that you're, you're doing it not to promote yourself. You're doing it to promote other people like myself and, and like Joe nicely. And like these other guys who are just grinding and sort of on the come up and to give them a little bit of exposure to your sort of huge audience. So I commend yeah. you on that piece. It's, it's awesome. Pre- appreciate that, man. I mean, if I could just comment on it quick, I think that is the bigger factor. Like it's, I think what I would say is, is just so many people, you do your final thoughts all the time. I'm not trying to take it over, but just to say like so much, like I think people forget how small this bubble or this niche niche, whatever you want to call it actually is. And they get lost in that. Like I would be no one if, if anyone didn't help me in the past, like Pat, did stuff for me. People might forget. I did the list list gate where I went on, couldn't list the things he, you know, surprised he ever even had me back on. But if it wasn't for him sort of helping me and promote me and other guys around the space, lifting me up, I wouldn't get to where I'm at now and be able to do this stuff full time. So try and help many people as you can forget about all the beefs and the back and forth and all there should be nothing like that. We're literally talking about a beef. Are we in high school? Like it's just dumb in the space that we're in, lift each other up, share each other's work, help each other out. It does still help me because when when other people get lifted up, that keeps lifting me up too. And we all continue to move up to the top together. But it's you'd rather win with everyone than just sort of, again, back to the, the age old, like one winner and everyone else loses. We do that enough. We play DFS, right? So the, in DFS, sure. But we can win the betting. 
seen together. We can both win on Cameron Young this week as a best bet. But when you're putting out content, you're putting it out there for everybody to see, and it's free for people, It's it takes two seconds to retweet. It takes two seconds to like. It takes whatever. And I get, you don't need to retweet everything, but that's also why I only do one thread a week. People do them like four a day. And like you said, try and bust the algorithm. I do one a week at the same time with the same format. So it's easy for everyone to know when it's coming out, understand, makes it simple. If you can retweet and help me out, I appreciate it, but it helps everyone within the thread, not just me. So definitely thank you for that, Joe, and continue to do what you do, man. I love all your stuff. Lunchtime long shots might be tough this week. Like you said, Henley and who else, but uh, love all you do, man. And thanks for having me on again. I appreciate you. At toe tag and Tambo, the one and only. Thank you, dude. I'll talk to you later, man. All right, man. Thank you. Dude is just the man. Um, I appreciate the hell out of him for stopping by. I appreciate the hell out of you guys for checking out the U.S. Open preview show. Uh, we have just crossed the one hour mark. So like I mentioned, I'm, I'm shifting back to preferred lines. I tried something out. If you're still here uh, with with the major report, I'm just going to go back to my roots. Like I don't have a huge long explanation for it. It was a, it was a ton of of additional effort that I thought was really cool. But this has been my baby. I had never appeared on a podcast before. Um, Chad was lucky enough to have this idea to start it during like when COVID first started on this show. Um, and I'm going to continue to run with it. This is my baby. This is episode 101 of the preferred lines podcast. Thank you guys so much. Give me a thumbs up. Give me a subscribe, whatever you want to do. Um, do what you do. I appreciate you guys. Enjoy the U S open. The country club is going to present scenes like it's it's gonna be like uh, my guy Keith said, like the stepbrother of Augusta of Augusta National is like one brother that's like high and tight and clean shaven and has a suit on. This is equally beautiful, but like five day stubble, fresh off a couple of whiskeys and bags under the eyes from the night before but equally as beautiful in every way. It's going to be awesome to catch on TV. Enjoy it. Let's hit Cam Young. Let's get another best bet. I'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks for checking out Preferred Lines. Peace.